TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this Monday, September 18th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is a Reaction Monday. I'm Stephen Igo, Philip Pilkington producing in studio today. East Carolina, unfortunately, dropping a third straight decision to open the 2023 season. They lose 43-28 to to Appalachian State. They are now 0-3 for the first time since 2017. We'll react to your comments, your questions, anything you want to uh, to say throughout the show, let us know. You can also call in. We'll get that call-in number here in a second. But also, we got several comments on social media we'll react to. Philip and I will give our take here shortly. But overall, just a, a disappointing loss. ECU now 0-3. They will host Gardner-Webb trying to get their first win of the season this coming Saturday, 6 o'clock, will be the kickoff time as they host the FCS running Bulldogs. won't be an easy game. With the way, of course, this offense is playing right now, no game will be an easy game. But we got quite a lot to break down. We are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, Twitter. If you've got a question, drop it on YouTube or Facebook. We'll get to us. Uh, also tweeted us at Steve and I go at 943 the game. But for sure, disappointed weekend. The first half was honestly a, a pretty fun football game. You had, at times, ECU playing complimentary football. You had a great sequence where the, you know, of course, starting the game with an extended drive, Alex Flynn leading the Pirates with a 75 yard touchdown drive was a definite step in the right direction. ECU gets off to a good start offensively for the first time this year, really taking a 7 nothing lead. Then you give up the 75 yard touchdown right after that, which was disappointing. But at times you had complimentary football in the first half, speaking directly to the fact where you had the punt down at the one by Luke Larson, who had a great day, the pick six. Yeah, at times the offense kind of fed off the defense's energy. ECU led at halftime, 21-16. I thought one of the biggest issues in the game was giving App State a short field after that pick six, which we can get into. But then the second half, things just went off the rails. App State continued to do what they do, running the stretch zone, play action, hit some big plays, just kind of grinded away at ECU's defense. And the Pirates had no answer offensively. I think just 42 yards in the second half they were outgained by uh, 200 yards in the second half. Time of possession was glaring in the second half. I thought ECU wore down, and as a result, <clears throat> App is able to run away with the 43-28 victory. Pirates fall to 0-3. And, uh, Philip, I know you were you were back at the studio watching the game, following the game. Just your thoughts on what we saw Saturday. We all picked Absent to cover the 8.5-point spread, so I don't think the final result was the biggest shock in the world, but still, given how the Pirates looked early, a disappointing result at the end of the day. It was um, disappointing with, like you said, how well it started. But I did think the team grew in a lot of the ways that we wanted to see them grow. I thought the offense, however, not doing this consistently, still had more flow than they had any of the first two games, particularly in the first half. So that's one thing you'd like to see. I think you saw a quarterback who, despite making some mistakes, however, he has not started in four years, he also had confidence in his ability to throw the football. That's not something we've seen the previous two games. The unfortunate side was, I think we lost the battle in the trenches on both sides of the football. We had some nice runs, but a lot of our nice runs, they still had guys in the backfield. Our running backs were just making guys miss. Now, 
making guys miss is how running backs like Barry Sanders have made a living. You want to see that out of your running backs, but you don't want to see that as the only way we gain positive yardage on the ground is making guys miss. And then on the flip side of the ball, I think we didn't defend the run very well. Yes, that is another third really good running back we've seen, but again, lost the battle in the trenches on the defensive side of the ball. So when you lose up front on both sides of the football, it's a recipe for a loss, and I think that was the glaring difference in the two teams on Saturday. One of the biggest takeaways I had from watching the ECU versus App twice now is, and their OC, Frank Ponce, he does a tremendous job, but App offensively, they have a clear identity and everything plays off of it. They have the stretch run, the zone run, play action pass, and as a defense, you have to respect that no matter what the play, what the situation is. They even ran it several times, at least a few times this game, on third and long and got a first down on one occasion with a big run by Nate Noel. But they have a clear identity, a clear scheme, and... It helps when a Joey Aguilar comes in, of course, is ready to play. But what helps him is the scheme. You know, they play to his strengths. They take a lot of pressure off the quarterback with how well they run the ball. They recruit a certain type of lineman. They recruit a certain type of running back. You know, this has been kind of their scheme for years now. And they've had different personnel. Yeah, they've had down years. Like last year, they were six and six with two FCS wins, but they still beat Texas A&M on the road, uh, with this scheme. And now they've got kind of the right personnel back, the right OC back. They run their scheme to a high level, no matter what the opponent is doing, and uh, you see the success. 40 points against UNC, 43 against ECU, 45 against Gardner-Webb. Uh, they've recruited well, and they've uh, found kind of what works for them and have succeeded in doing that. And for ECU right now, I don't know, even at times under Holton Aylers, really what the consistent plan is. I know ECU runs an RPO-based system where you really want to take what the defense gives you but in many ways, you're allowing the defense to dictate what you do, whereas App State, they're going to do what they do to a great degree and then adjust from there and play to your weaknesses. But they're always going to play to their strengths, too. So that's just one big takeaway I have after watching App State and East Carolina a couple of times now. And App State has really dominated the game both times. I mean, if you take away the fact, Philip, you score twice on defense and you still lose the game by 15. You take away the defensive scores. This is a 43-14 to 14 game. And I think that's one of the more discouraging things is, too. You don't find too many opportunities to score defensively twice. I mean, there are seasons I've seen ECU not score defensively twice in a season. And to lose the game in the fashion they did, I think, uh, is disappointing. I think it is, but I don't want to go and say you definitely only score 14 points. Let's go back and take a pick six, for example. Offense was flowing at that time. You know, maybe if that interception doesn't happen and it's just a knockdown ball, hopefully we force a three and out. Hopefully we punt, get the ball around, or they punt, excuse me, get the ball around midfield. So I wouldn't say 100% it's a 43 to 14 game because that was two possessions the offense never saw because the defense scored before the offense got on the field. But still, to your point, you are 100% right in the fact of like, that doesn't have a recipe for success. You know, if you're playing in the Big Ten and you're playing Iowa and Illinois every week, hey, you know what? Maybe you can score 14 games or 14 points and win a football game. But we're in the American. The American is the old school Big 12 in the fact that points matter. You gotta have points. You're gonna have to score 40 to win in this league because it's good offenses, not as good of defenses and when you're about to start conference play, you've got to be able to beat the teams that are on your schedule. And right now, with no flow in the offense, like you said, only 14 points scored. Because even if we do go off my theory where the offense gets two more possessions, say they score on both of those. Still 28 points, solid day, but 
How many games last year would have 28 points won for us? I don't even know. I don't have the schedule in front of me. There's plenty of games last year we wouldn't have won if we only scored 28 points. So uh, definitely got to have more production by the offense and more consistent production. No doubt. And you can't, after giving up a, or after getting a game changing play, you can't kick it short, let them get a big return, and have a personal foul face mask penalty right before the half to put them on your 40. Give them momentum, flip it that way, and app goes on the score. And it really kind of rolls the rest of the way. I mean, that was a huge turning point for me. Like, good teams don't allow that to happen. You sustain momentum. You don't allow a big return and a personal foul penalty to put them on your side of the field and give them basically free points. Um, William Land has got a, a good question on social media, and this is the topic I was going to address later, but might as well hit it now. He says, how much would a win this weekend change the morale of this football team moving forward and in the conference play? I thought... You look around the country, very few teams are playing their FCS game, Game 4. And I'm not trying to make excuses. But if you had to draw up a schedule for how inexperienced uh, this team is, this would probably be the worst way to do it. Opening at Michigan, you're not going to get any confidence there, realistically. The Marshall, Marshall game, look, ECU lost 31-13, to but for the most part, Looked just as good, if not as, or if not better than Marshall for much of that game before really hitting the trick play and then collapsing in the fourth quarter. You know, we both predicted EC would start one and two, Philip. And the App State game, for all intents and purposes, kind of went how I thought it would in the preseason. App State, I thought would play well, maybe not in the fashion they they beat ECU in, especially scoring as many points as they did. But one and two. If you were one and two right now, maybe the sky isn't falling. Maybe if you had an FCS win, maybe if you were one and three, it wouldn't be as bad as it is. But the fact you're zero and three, you don't have that win under your belt. I think that's causing a lot of the the freak out right now too. I think it's not only the fact that you've lost three, but it's the fact that you know, kind of going back to our previous point, you're going to have to score points to win games. And back to your point of no identity with the offense, you know, if you go out there and you just lose to three teams that are just better than you. And you know what? Michigan, 100%, is better than us. They're better than everybody but probably Georgia. Um, Marshall experienced returning a lot of starters, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So you lose whatever. App, again, you know, you already talked about their success. So I think if they're pretty losses, and I know we're not here for moral victories, we're here for wins, I think people aren't pushing the panic button as much. But people are going into this conference play going, how are we going to score? And... Like I said, in this conference, you got to score points. I know how we're going to score this weekend. We're better. We are bigger. We are more physically gifted than the team we are going to be playing. You've got to win this week. But does it really boost morale? I think it gives you the opportunity to boost morale by beating Rice because I think you find out some things about yourself. But I don't think you boost morale until you go out there and you beat an opponent that is at the level that you are. And Rice is an FBS opponent. Gardner-Webb is not an FBS opponent. You need to have a real win. And, I mean... I know a win's a win, but Gardner-Webb, it's it's an FCS game. I mean, it is what it is. If you want to kill morale, lose Saturday, and exactly. basically the season's over. So uh, I'm not saying the season's over now. Does it look bleak? Yeah, you're 0-3. ECU, I think, has never had a winning record when starting 0-3, but this is a very young football team that can get better. I do think a win will do a lot for them, especially offensively, just going out and maybe scoring – Four or five touchdowns, and I don't think that'll be easy. Gardner-Webb, the last number of FBS games they've played, they have had a shot to win each of them. So they're going to come in expecting to win. ECU will have to play well Saturday to win. Uh, Let's get a few more comments on social media, then we'll take a break. Uh, Chuck says what concerns him was the minimal effectiveness with the running game against their defensive front. 
yeah, App had been bullied pretty bad by UNC, and I think they made a clear, clear choice to stop the run. And you know, we talked about it going to the game, the lack of ability to get consistent separation out wide, and the lack of pass protection at times. I think really limits ECU in terms of throwing the football, whether it's Alex Flynn or Mason Garcia. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. And, and I, I just don't think this offensive line right now is great at run blocking. I mean, they missed too many blocks on Saturday. Uh, there were too many times Rajay Harris was hit right at the line of scrimmage. And it's just that, you know, you got five new starters up front and you have a new offensive line coach. I do like some of the talent, Jacob Saker, Richard Pierce. I like Dustin Hall at center. I like Hampton Ergel and Parker Moore. But this is a brand new unit with a brand new offensive line coach and a brand new quarterback, and that, you know, as, as much as that, as much as it stinks to say, you're just going to have to str- get through some of those growing pains at times this year. We're seeing that even against a vulnerable App State defense, they were able to penetrate quite often. Uh, Cameron says App State's offensive system is just better than ours. We have no offensive system that is effective for the players we have. I kind of touched on that earlier. Um, Chuck says, what kind of offense can we run with the talent we have? We could do a whole show on that. Pirate 2031 says, Rice is good. And, yeah, I mean, Rice beat Houston. So ECU, of course, lost to Houston 42-3 last year. Different year, different teams, but that will be a tough game. ECU will be an underdog at Rice. We know that much based on how the first few weeks have played out. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's just – with this offense right now, it's just – you can't change the scheme in the middle of the season. People saying – they need to fire the coordinator or whatever. You can't – you know, you can make a change if you're Mike Houston if you want to, but who are you going to bring in to run the offense? Right now, nobody on the offensive staff has play calling experience except for analyst Shane Montgomery. He just got here this offseason. He's still learning the personnel. I don't even know what his offensive scheme is, to be honest, at this point. I'm sure he does a fine job, has done a fine job at his previous stops, but he hasn't worked with any of these assistants before firsthand. And you would be trying to do that midseason. I don't think that's the answer. I think you're going to have to get through this season, find a way to do what you can do to salvage the offense. But, uh, you know, I don't think firing a play caller right now, three games in, is the way to go. I understand people are frustrated. I understand it's year five. And I did an article today. It shouldn't look this bad, even with the quality of competition ECU's playing. But you got to find a way to build on the positives, Philip. That's kind of where we're at is, unfortunately, you got to find, you got to work with what you have. You can't go out and sign a free agent quarterback. No, you can't. I, I have a kind of a build-off question for you about yeah. that. I, I agree. You can't change everything right now. Don't get rid of Donnie. Do you think the team could, and we've seen it, it's a little more common in the NFL than it is college, but where they keep the offensive coordinator, but just for a week or two change the play caller maybe? Do you think maybe Shane could call the plays even though he – it's it's under Donnie's system, or Mike could call the play. I mean, is that crazy? Or I mean, I don't know. Am I, I am I spitballing here? I don't know. I'd be shocked to see it because I think at that point you're you're basically demoting your OC as it is. So and and again, like you know, if Latrell Scott was still here, the tight ends coach from a year ago, I would say maybe he could do that. But I don't see anybody on the offensive staff right now that's ready to step into a play calling position. And uh, again, Shane Montgomery. I don't know the last time him and Donnie worked together with the same offense, so like I don't even know if he could step in right now and just call plays without tweaking a lot. So, you know, if you're going to do something like that, it probably happens during a bye week. East Carolina doesn't have a bye until after the Rice game, so again, we'll just see what happens Saturday. And I understand the frustration. ECU's offensive numbers are abysmal. 
they're scoring. They've scored three touchdowns in two games. One of those was on a three-yard drive. So I get the frustration, but you also got to be realistic and understand kind of where it, where it sits. And I don't know, Philip, if that's an option, but you never know. Every time I think I've seen it all, you see something new. So uh, who knows? Uh, I mean, Mike Mike's a defensive coach as well, so I don't think he's going to call the offensive plays. Yeah, I didn't think that either. I was just. I don't know. I mean, Kansas City's done it before. They've changed Andy Reid. Obviously, right. we're we're in a much different situation than the Kansas City Chiefs. But hey, if Andy Reid wants to come in and call plays, we can make that happen. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm down. Lincoln Riley can come back for a week. We'll let him call plays. Yeah. All right, let's get our uh, first break in. We got several of your comments uh, to get to on the other side: Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, as well. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. Pirates fall to zero and three. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Reaction Monday. Taking your comments on YouTube, Facebook. We got a lot of them. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Philip Pilkington is producing. If you want to call in, 252-561-8255 to give your take. We'll open the phone lines as well, 252 Five five. All right. Um, Justice says uh, the lazy excuse of oh well our schedule is hard is pathetic and sad. Marshall and App State used to be behind us in the grand scheme of things. They are now our peers and they blew us out. I mean, I agree. You don't want to use it as an excuse, but here's the other reality. Who did App State open with? Gardner Webb. Who did Marshall open with? Albany. Both those teams trailed in the third quarter of their respective games. Had to figure some things out. Ended up winning, ended up building some confidence from that, whereas ECU has its game with Gardner-Webb coming up this Saturday, fourth game of the year after an 0-3 start. So I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, if you would draw it up, you would want to have that game earlier on the schedule. But, uh, you know, the dates don't always align. Michigan maybe not would pay $1.8 million later in the season. That's the guarantee ECU's getting for that game. Uh, or got for that game in Ann Arbor. So different factors, but a lot of the, the the FCS games for ECU the last few years for the Pirates have not been the opener, and that's just uh, you know that's just the way the schedule falls sometimes. But I think if you're ECU going forward, you try to schedule that out. Um, w J O'Connor on Facebook says, if this is Flynn's last year, are we recruiting multiple quarterbacks in this next class? We'll be interested to see if anyone hits the portal. Uh, I don't think anybody's in the portal right now. Um, so WJ Flynn has one year of eligibility left. We were talking about this before the show, Philip, but he, he's he's delaying med school. So I would think if he's not the undisputed starter next year, he's already delayed med school for a year. He's probably moving on. This is his fifth year of college football. So. I've said, look, if this season goes off the rails, you got to decide one way or another if Flynn or Garcia are going to be your guy, and if not, then you got to go to the portal. So there's there's still a lot to play for here. Yeah, there is, and kind of to your point, I think if he's not the number one guy, he definitely goes and to med school. And look, I've I've never met Alex Flynn other than a quick hello, hey, how you doing? So I'm not going to act like I know him, but coming from Joe, this is a kid who really does care about his education. He's a kid who Joe said, like, the med school's not just a dream. He's actually that smart. I think Joe, and don't quote me on this, thinks that he actually had the highest GPA among all athletes last year or something crazy like that. So he knows that his future is in the medical field, not in the NFL. So I think unless, yeah, Mike Houston says, look, 
12 games next year. You're our guy, ride or die, barring you breaking your leg. You're the guy. Unless he hears that, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's probably definitely gone, right? I mean, at the end of the day, he knows what his future is, and he seems, from what I understand from Joe, very driven about that future. And, you know, that future is something that takes a lot of hard work. And if he goes out there and wins the next nine games uh, as starting quarterback, then he's probably back next year. But, you know, obviously a lot to be decided there. And that's why there's still so much to play for. Uh, John says, John Moody on Facebook says, on a positive note, I really enjoyed the atmosphere in Boone on Saturday. We made a whole vacation out of this game. I would love to see the series extended. I mean, yeah, with results of the game aside, I thought the atmosphere was great. There were a ton of East Carolina fans that traveled. Uh, shout out to the app fans for showing up. They were in their seats early. They were loud. They were into it. Don't know why they rushed the field, but hey, students will be students. And um, it's just one of those situations where this game needs to be played. And I know App's gotten the better of ECU twice in a row. But to me, and Sean Clark said it after the game, this is what college football is all about. You know, he credited the ECU fans for traveling. He's the App State head coach. And he said, you know, this is, you know, why would he basically used the example, hey, if you're an ECU fan, who's going to drive to Dallas to watch East Carolina SMU? Versus who's going to drive four hours to Boone to watch ECU and App State? Clearly, a lot more people are going to do the second part of that. Well, look no further than the schedule that Cliff Godwin gets us. When we go to Wilmington, there's a lot of purple and gold. When we go to Duke, when we go to NC State, North Carolina. Heck, I went down to watch us play Queens College on a Tuesday night, and there was plenty of ECU fans. Now, that's probably mostly people that live in Charlotte. But again, there are people that live in Charlotte went to ECU, not people in Dallas that live that went to ECU. So I think the football definitely needs to go back to as regionalized games you can. So yes, App would be a perfect one. If not App, I mean, heck, we've when's the last time we played a team like Wake Forest? Why can't we get them on the schedule? Winston Salem is actually even closer than Boone. You know, I know that Carolina, Duke, whatever, we'd love to play those teams, but there's the whole they don't want to play as crap. But, yeah, schedule wake, schedule – I didn't even mind the Old Dominion a few years back. I thought it was fun going to Old Dominion. I went as a fan. You went as for your job. And, you know, that's, what, two hours, two and a half to Norfolk? Yeah, easy a cool drive. little stadium. I mean, why not? Well, next year, Philip, you get your wish. The Pirates are going back to ODU. That's right, so. they are. I uh, So next year's schedule – you know, you would love to have a, a ACC or, or you know Big Twelve, whatever SEC school on the schedule. But from a manageable standpoint, we were talking about the schedule earlier. And from a regional standpoint, you open with Norfolk State, you go to ODU, you have App State at home, and then you go to Liberty. So every single game is regional, non-conference wise. And of course, you got the conference pretty spread out. Um, Wake Forest is on the future schedule as well. They come to Greenville in 2027. East Carolina will go to Wake Forest in 28. And so, you know, App comes back to ECU in 26. So ECU's already concluded the road portion of the series, going to Charlotte, going to Boone. Now App is scheduled to come back in 24-26. And uh, I would expect that series to be continued. I don't know if it'll be annually, but I am expecting it to be continued, just talking with some sources. Uh, but, yeah, Wake Forest on the future schedule for a home-and-home home. 27, 28, and then Old Dominion, you got ODU in 24, then you have ODU in 27, 29, 2030, and 2031. So you got you got plenty of ODU coming up, Philip. There you go. And like I said, I know it's not like the sexiest opponent, but hey, it's it's close, and Pirate fans love to travel, man. Like I said, with baseball, yeah, I mean, we travel. I don't think, I don't see many people in, what is it, 2028, I believe, flying to Idaho. 
No. It will be cool to welcome Boise State. Don't get me wrong. It'll be cool for our players to go play on the Smurf turf, but like a one-time thing, great. I don't want to see that series continued. Like, what do we? What does Idaho have other than potatoes? What we're gonna go to some good French fries there? Like, right. come on. What? Why would I go to Boise? And it's cool to play BYU and Boise every now and then, like you said. I mean, BYU will come back in twenty-five, but that's the series you want to play. What once a decade at most. Because the conference is already so spread out, so I'm I'm cool with the series, but I think teams like App, ODU, whatever, you know, I know people weren't fired up about playing Liberty, but it's a regional opponent, and Liberty right now is a good team. I mean, Jamie Chadwell is going to do a great job there. That could be a top 25 program when they when ECU goes there next year. All right, let's hit some of these Twitter comments. We need to get to some of these. Uh, Chuck on Twitter, he also commented on YouTube earlier. He says, call me crazy. Before the season, I predicted 7-5. and five. I still think we can win four to five games and build for next year. However, offensive line run and pass blocking needs to step up. We did touch on that, Chuck, earlier. Uh, I think this line will grow throughout the year. It's just it's painful right now. Um, Bot says, we've played three really good programs off – Obviously, we all want different results, but we lost probably 80 to 90% of our offensive production. Don't know what our fans expected. You had some people reply to that. I think, Philip, I think we all expected a step back, but nobody expected basically the last place offense in the country. And there's nine games left, but three games in against good quality competition, it's basically the worst offense statistically in college football. That's just what, what it says. Yeah, and like you said, you, you think you're going to take that step back, but it kind of goes back to our first segment where we talked about what is the identity of this team? We don't know. We don't even know who that go-to guy. We thought somebody was going to emerge, whether it be Jalen Johnson or I don't know Shane Calhoun, but we were not seeing that go-to receiver. They kind of tried to force the ball to Brock Spalding this week, which I like Brock. I don't know if I like him playing the X at 5'10". I think I'd rather see him in the slot, but that's a whole conversation for another day. Um, and I think that's been the frustrating thing is there's no continuity. Like, we expected a, a fallback in production from the standpoint of we had NFL quarterback, running back, and wide receivers, and you don't have that right now, but you still thought the continuity and the flow would be there, just maybe not the execution, and there's no flow. There's no continuity. These guys look like they've never played together before sometimes. And then, like we kind of mentioned, the play calling. It's like, what, what, are we an RPO team? I Kind of, but, I mean, RPO teams look like the Philadelphia Eagles, and, and we don't look like the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Can we borrow Jalen Hurts and see if he gets better? Uh, hey, yeah, sure, why not, right? I think, I mean, now the NIL is a thing. Who cares if he's went and made money in the league? Right. He should be allowed to come back. Uh, Pack the Jungle, this kind of shows the two different takes people can have. He says, it can be hard to remain positive, but I trust the head coach is doing all in his power to succeed. If he throws a zero up, it affects him and his family too. Yes, I get frustrated with play calling and execution. Fans called for Bench and Holt Nailers. We should be thanking him now. Uh, we should... Or he says, we may have had some recruiting misses. This happens. They have to adapt. I expected there to be drop-off from last year, but not this much. Getting a lot of good reps for younger players, I'll keep cheering them on regardless. I think a lot of fair thoughts there. Then you have Cameron, uh, who says apathy is what he's feeling on this Monday. He says, it's ridiculous that a fifth-year coaching staff did not prepare for the departure of key offensive players. Failure to develop, recruit, adapt the offense. He says the OC has to go. So, I mean... Look, everybody that's a fan has a right to an opinion. I did a story today, Philip. I don't know if you've read it or not on Hoist the Colors. Uh, I know you've been busy this morning, but 
basically looking at the, the previous three recruiting classes, 2020 through 22, looking at why the offense kind of is what it is right now from a talent standpoint. They have tried to plug some holes with some transfers. Some of that has worked. But they have had a lot of misses, specifically the 21 class, which was when COVID happened. They weren't allowed to go on the road and see guys in person. A lot of teams had misses during that year. But ECU has one offensive player that they recruited from high school as a scholarship player from that class who is uh, contributing now and still with the program. That's Richard Pierce, that offensive line. Receiving-wise, they have one receiver who they recruited on scholarship from 2020 through 2022 that is still with the offense. Uh, That's Brock Spalding. So we talk about the issues with offensive line. We talk about the issues with receiver. A lot of it is they just have missed on some key positions, and some of these transfers have worked. Some of them have not, but it just shows you you got to recruit well at high school to sustain success and kind of keep that flow going from year to year. Yeah, you do. And I think the hard thing about being a college coach, and look, don't get me wrong, every school's in the same boat we're in. These guys are coaches. They're not scouts. Like, in the NFL, in the MLB, and so on, the guys who recruit, recruit, and the guys who coach, coach. These guys have to do both, which is hard. Now, that's part of the gig, and I get that. But you brought up the COVID thing, and I hate 99 times out of 100 when somebody uses COVID as an excuse, but how do you connect with the guy if you can't get him on campus? If you can't go sit there in his kitchen table with his parents, and really, so much of recruiting is not talent. It's about a guy fitting with your program in a way of not just his talent level and his abilities but just who you are as a coach and your mindset take like the baseball team for example cliff godwin recruits a certain type of kid there are certain there are some darn good baseball players that would not work in cliff godwin's system because of the way they do things and it's the same thing in football same thing in every sport and the frustrating thing is you weren't able to connect with those players you can't connect with people over the phone and covid bit East Carolina and recruiting harder than it bit other teams, and that's unfortunate. So, yeah, maybe they missed on the fact that these kids just don't mesh with our, you know, mindset correctly, but how do you you know a kid's mindset when you can't talk to them? Yeah, and it was kind of a coin toss with a lot of those recruits around the country, and some teams fortunate than other, like you said, ECU unfortunate, and you try to plug some of those holes with younger players, uh, play those recruits earlier than maybe you intended to, or bring in the transfers. So it's some of those guys are experiencing those growing pains right now. Um, so we got a game time announcement, by the way. John Moody says, ECU at Rice. The kickoff time has been announced. Any guesses before I let you know, Philip? Um, See, I'm, I'm not going to go noon because it'd be 11 a.m. their time. I'm going to go four o'clock, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. Yeah. So the old night kickoff in yeah. in Houston, Texas. I guess it'll be six central. Yeah, for EC Rice. Uh, so yeah, that uh, that is unfortunate because I'm not looking forward to another late game. Noon games are the best. Uh, Robert says App State with a new quarterback and returns with OC and DC are not rebuilding. Yeah, I hit on that earlier. I mean, they have a system. They recruit to it. They play to it. They have a clear identity system, zone stretch, play action pass. They put their quarterback in, in good situations because they run the ball so well. Uh, and they've done a great job. you got to give credit to Sean Clark. They have built their system. Uh, it's been there a while. He used to be the O-line coach there, and he's continued it and elevated it in some respects. So they do a good job. And 
you know, that's kind of what ECU's trying to find right now is that, that sustained success as well. All right, let's get our uh, next break in. We'll come back. We'll continue to address your questions, comments across social media on this Reaction Monday. Pirates lose 43-28 to App State. We'll be right back with we're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into the show. Monday, September 18th. It's a reaction Monday, and we are taking a lot of comments and questions. We could always do like a two-hour show on these Mondays. If you want to call in, 252-561-8255. Otherwise, we'll continue to roll down all these comments on social media. Jay says our receivers have to step it up, not only running routes and catching the football, but also blocking downfield. App State receivers did an excellent job on run blocking and created some explosive plays as a result. Rod chimes in. We just announced the uh, the Rice game. ECU at Rice will be 7 o'clock. He says, be glad it's an evening kickoff time because he lives in Houston. It would be extremely hot if there was a noon kickoff. So Yeah, that makes sense. I want to, And I want your take on yeah. one of those comments. From what I saw now on TV, you don't get the full, you know, vision of the play. I thought the blocking downfield was honestly solid by the receivers. I thought if there was a good thing in the offense, it was their receiver blocking, especially those back-to-back long runs by Mason, uh, by Alex. One of them got called back, and then he ran again. And they were mid-route, and all of them turned around and stock-blocked and perfectly. And I thought they actually, come of those, a couple of those long runs, I thought the receivers actually blocked solid. But I want your take. You can see the game better than me. We were way up high, and I... The thing is, too, there wasn't too many long runs for ECU. Like you notice that stuff more because App had those long runs, and like you said, Flynn broke the pocket, made a couple of runs. I do remember Javius Bond one time hitting the cutback and uh, making something out of nothing, and there was pretty good blocking there. So, um, I think in this game, I thought it was fine. Nothing really stood out to me from a negative perspective. I'm sure if we went back and watched every single play, you could find some, but I thought that was more of a you know, at with that stretch stretch zone, their receivers know that they are consistently running outside, and so they have to block because a, a large part of their success is sealing off that corner, and uh, you know, creating that extra lane for them if it does go outside. So that is, uh, look, they're a good program and they do a great job. ECU is more of an inside zone team uh, right now, so you don't get maybe as many opportunities to impact the run game. If you're a receiver, but obviously that is an area ECU always wants to improve, especially on the bubble screen. For me, there was a few missed blocks in that aspect. Yeah, there was, um, you know, where a, a, a five, six yard play on first down turns into a negative play if you miss a block there. But I didn't think it was terrible watching from the naked eye. Yeah, the, the screens were bad, and then kind of, I know you're about to go something else. No, I'll make this good. quick, but you know, a team like App, they probably use that in recruiting. They tell the receivers, "Look, we run outside zone. We run stretch plays. No block, no rock. You don't want to block." Don't commit here. 100%. They, they do a good job, so you got to give them credit. Um, all right, back to uh, – all right, we got a comment here. I want to address this. Uh, NC Pirate 13 says, I'm curious to know more details about the conversation mentioned by the Boneyard podcast. And he says – so basically the Boneyard podcast, I know Jared who runs it. He, he We were all standing there with the media. We interviewed Mike Houston after the game. And then Mike went over to John Gilbert, the athletic director, and they basically had a private conversation one-on-one. And the Boneyard podcast tweeted out, uh, you can go read it in its entirety. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, essentially that John Gilbert was saying some things about, you know, we need to score more. You know, and he said that he meant, he thought he was 95% sure he heard the word change or something like that. 
So I was there. I don't mind talking about it now that it's out there, but this is pretty standard stuff. The AD meets with the head coach and talks with him after every single game. They basically talk every single day. And so there, it, it, it wasn't a situation where, like, John Gilbert was in Mike Houston's face making demands or anything like that. It was just a casual conversation. The AD had some words of encouragement for Mike Houston. Uh, Mike Houston, he takes these losses incredibly hard, so he was pretty down. Um, so, you know, he was just kind of listening to what John Gilbert had to say. They had some back and forth, casual conversation. You know, nothing was really said out of the ordinary. And we could not hear 95% of the conversation. Like, they were down the hall. And there was the mention of the word change. I'm pretty sure that came up in the context of, hey, do you feel like the change of quarterback or whatever, you know, helped at all offensively? I don't think John Gilbert's out there demanding a change right after a game. That's just – I don't see that as a – a possibility. So again, I didn't hear the full conversation. I, you know, it was really a private conversation. Should have stayed private, but uh, I was there for it, and that's just my take on it. I think it's really a bunch of bunch of nothing. I mean, this is something that happens win or lose every game. The AD and the head coach always talk, so I I, I kind of see it as really not a big deal um, personally, and that, that's my take on it. So make of that what you will, and we'll get back to the comments here. All right, uh, Larry says on YouTube, he says, I, th- I would think a really poor season would affect recruiting. Hearing your recap on recent high school signings with bowl games and star players to help really concerns me. So I do want to point out, you know, I did not include the 23 class, which, you know, is, is are the true freshmen on campus now. And after seeing these guys in practice, I am really high on this class, 23, because I feel like this is a lot like the 2020 class, which had some major recruits at it. And uh, you're going to have misses in every class. This is football. You're recruiting 20, 25 guys a year. You're not going to hit on everybody. But you don't want to miss less than 50%. Then you start to run into issues. Um, and so what I thought with this class, you're kind of seeing the fruits of back-to-back bowl games, bowl win, because a lot of these guys commit early. For example, the 2024 class is almost all the way done. They're already working on 2025. So a lot of these guys committed back in the summer before the season even started. Now the goal is to hold on to them. So if you can stack a good 23 and 24 class back-to-back, you're going to be in pretty good shape there. And I don't think one down season will kill you. Obviously, it's not as good as going 12-0 and or having a third straight winning season in recruiting, but you, know, you can overcome that because I feel like they've already recruited better in 23. I didn't include it in the article because these guys have only played three games or they're redshirting, and the jury's still out on all of them. But I am high on the running back, obviously, Javius Bond. The two tight ends they brought in, Antonio Ferguson, DeSirio Riles, have already played. The receivers in this class, Malik Leverett and Zion Agnew, I'm high on. If uh, Malik could play right now, I think he would be one of your better receivers. I like the O-lineman in this class, so I feel like this is a step up. We've already seen Antoine Jackson make plays. Uh, it's 17 years old. So I think this class is a major step in the right direction. I like 2024 early as well. So I, I don't think it's a, a huge deal right now, and we'll see how it plays out going forward. But we haven't even talked about Antoine, Philip. How about that play, man? The 17-year-old getting his first defensive action pick six, that was pretty awesome. It is, and what a confidence builder, right? Like, yes, the defenses look good, and uh, I think they defended the pass well. But when you do that, when you get that first play, even if you don't score on it, right? You read the quarterback's eyes, you jump the route, you catch the ball. Say he gets tackled right, you know, right away. 
It's the fact that he proved himself, hey, you know what? Yes, the game is faster, but I'm here, and I'm here to stay, and I can hang with these boys. And just the fact that he got his first career interception so early at such a young age, um, it's going to do wonders for his confidence. And, uh, you know, it's obviously, don't get me wrong, it was awesome to see him take it to the house. But, uh, you know, it's it's really a special play uh, for a guy who you think is going to be a special player for this program. And a lot of people said, hey, it's the easy pick. I, you know, to have the awareness and to complete the catch, how many corners – don't have their eyes in the right location or they're not breaking on the ball in the right moment. Or There was another play later in the game where another corner could have had an interception on a very similar play. Could have been a pick six. His eyes were not where they needed to be. Ball bounced right beside him. So having the awareness and the hip flexibility to turn, stick his foot in the ground, go pick that ball off, I think it's a lot harder than he made it look. It, it is. And, you know, there are some that I guess are easier than others. But I want to – tell people and not that i pretend like i've played at the college level because i haven't but it my point is going to be even more valid because i haven't played at the college level i only played in high school but if you've ever been in a 22 car pileup, that's what a football play is you remember before it there's a blur of about four or five seconds and then you go wow how did i get here when the play ends it is a 22 car or 22 person wreck every play it happens that fast so it's much easier said than done to say, oh, that was an easy play, that was an easy pick. That was Because to your point, he still had to do all that reaction, and that is extremely hard to do. And I'm telling you that from a high school standpoint, I can't imagine how fast the college game is, especially for a kid who's 17, who probably you would think at that age probably shouldn't even play in college football yet, right? He should still be in high yeah. school. He's 17. This guy can't apply for a credit card. He can't do anything. I mean, he's not even an adult yet. He can't vote. And he's out here making plays with grown men, with 22- and 23-year-old grown men who can drink a beer. I mean, a totally different you know, standpoint. And, and he went out there, and he made a heck of a play, and he deserves all the applaud. And he finished as ECU's highest-graded player, according to Pro Football Focus, across 39 snaps. So good debut for Antoine Jackson. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll run through as many of these comments as we can before we wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Arr, back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Okay, welcome back into this Reaction Monday. Steve and I go here and Philip Pilkington producing. We're going to run through some of these comments on social media. We'll also save some uh, more for tomorrow when Joe Sampson, former ECU tight end, is in studio. But heading back to Twitter. Taylor says, feel like we should have won at least one of three games. Record should be one and two with a chance to even up next week. And, yeah, that that real chance was Marshall. And if you were one and two right now, the the world would not be ending. Uh, but 0 oh and 3, uh, that that's why you're getting so much panic right now. Uh, Zachary Payne says, I might be in the minority, but I want Mason Garcia to start against Gardner-Webb. I think it's a great choice, a uh, great chance to build his confidence, he says. With what I've seen from both, it's clear Mason has the higher ceiling. Let's give him his best shot to hit it. And if he flops, we can go to Alex for conference play. Well, here's the thing, Philip. Do you want to mess around and go for the upside and potentially lose to Gardner-Webb, or do you want to make sure you get the win? Which, to me, at this point, Alex looks like the better uh, passer operator of the offense. You know, Do you go the safe route, or do you use this as a chance to develop Mason? That's the you know, That's why the coaching staff gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, to make these decisions. Yeah, and they're so it's such a gray area answer, right? Like you want Mason to have every opportunity to succeed because if he 
reaches his potential, his potential is higher than Alex's. And what better chance does he have than a game that you should win? But to your point, Gardner-Webb hung in there with that. They're winning in the third quarter. If you make the wrong decision and you lose this game, you're in big trouble. It's the end of the day, you've got to play the game to win the game. At the end of the day, this is the only game that matters. Rice doesn't matter. FAU, SMU, Charlotte, Navy, Tulsa, none of those games matter. Gardner-Webb matters. I think you got to play the game to win the game. You worry about next week and the future, next week and in the future. Got to win this one. Uh, Ruff and McNeil used to always say, if you don't think it's a big game, try losing it. About you know games ECU is heavily favored in, and so this is another situation. I don't even know what the line will be. Uh, I don't even know if there will be a line. But either way, ECU should be the favorite, albeit maybe not as big as in past years. All right, Matt on Twitter says frustrated by the amount of penalties and yards given up by the defense with offense uh, with the offensive tackle off tackle runs. It was nostalgic to see vintage Rough McNeil era wide receiver screens make a return to try and get guys in space. He adds he is thankful to not be an app fan and stuck watching that level of stream quality every game. So the stream was bad, huh? Um, maybe. I, I think most people are talking about the um, the commentating, so I saw okay. some tweets about that. Unfortunately, I have the stream up on ESPN+, Plus, but I'm listening to the radio broadcast in case they throw it to me. So Also, I had like four other games going on, so uh, I think the picture was fine, at least on my end. Maybe he's got bad internet. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Austin says, ready to move on from an RPO-based offense. He says, do we run that because that's what Houston wants Donnie to run, or is that a product of Donnie or combination? Um, probably a combination. I mean, Houston comes from a triple option background. He, he wants a heavy run-oriented offense. The RPO gives you the ability to do that. But also, Donnie, from my understanding, has pretty free reign to kind of call what he wants to uh, depending upon the situation, of course, Houston has, uh, you know, say into philosophy, all that sort of stuff. But it, it's Donnie's system. Uh, coach Houston is a defensive coach with a triple option background. Uh, John adds, not feeling very confident right now. Too many penalties every game. I have a theory on that. I can touch on tomorrow, but I think that'll improve as ECU gets American officiating. Uh, he adds, poorest past defense. Wait, do you de- think American officiating is good or something? It's better than uh, having the opposing referees call. Uh, you didn't call watch your Tulsa games. game a few years ago. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Sorry, I, is- did, I had to come at you a little bit here. Oh, man. But you're right. <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, John adds, I don't know why we don't go up tempo more when we do it works, but then we revert to a more ball control run clock scheme. Yeah, fair points. Uh, Power 2031 says the picture quality was garbage, so I guess Philip was too busy watching the, yeah, the watching, radio. Yeah, watching, yeah. Um, he says production quality was elementary, nothing like what we have at ECU. And Brooks, as we get close to the end here, says, I find it weird that the last two years we talked about how big a deal the extra practices were for bowl games for the younger guys now that the younger guys have aged a year or two. It still seems that it's just they need more time and reps. There's nothing like game experience, Brooks. And especially for quarterbacks, you can rep it all you want in practice. And for O-linemen, those are the two positions that ECU's struggling at right now. And I think a lot of that just you don't have the game experience. So, But we can all agree it's a struggle right now. Hopefully the Pirates can improve going forward starting with this Saturday at uh, against Gardner-Webb in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. All right, got to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow with Joe. We'll have more of your comments then. 
You've been listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.